Welcome to season four of Two Bye Guys. I'm Rob, and I'm excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor of the show. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that we started this podcast before the pandemic. Season one, we recorded in professional sound booths, and that sounded great, but not only did it become impossible when the pandemic hit, but it was also super expensive and unsustainable. So for seasons three and four, I have been using Zencaster. The main thing I was looking for was audio that would record locally in the room with my guests. All of that gets taken care of now by Zencaster. I just meet my guest in a Zencaster room. It's like a Zoom room, but better. We record there, we can see each other, we can record video if we want also. And then Zencaster post-production puts it all together for me. They take the local audio from each person's computer, they compile it, they sync it, they do some sound mixing and sound editing. So it's super easy for me to download, use it and upload it or edit it myself for content if I want. I want you all to have the same easy experience I'm having. If you are thinking about starting a podcast or thinking about recording meetings you're doing or interviews you're doing of any kind, I highly recommend Zencaster. And if you go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and enter promo code to buy guys, all one word, you will get 30% off your first three months. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com slash pricing promo code to buy guys. It's time to share your story with Zencaster. Hello and welcome to Two Bye Guys. I'm here today with an author, another bi author. There's so many new books coming out uh, this year and last year. Last season, we interviewed Jen Winston, who wrote a bi memoir, and Vanit, who's writing about bi men. And today we have Anna Kuchetkova. She is a Russian-born Australian author and poetess, social media strategist for nonprofits all over the country and a passionate bi activist based in Sydney. Anna is the creator of the Bi and Prejudice Instagram space, which is how we connected, uh, which helps celebrate multi-sexual attraction and human diversity. And her book of the same name, Bi and Prejudice, just came out last October. So welcome to Two Bi Guys, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and it's so wonderful to meet you and to actually see you. Yes, after all this time of communicating via text, it's nice to see yes. your live face in person. It's a little blurry right now, but but you know, I I, I get a sense. Technology, <laughs> we hear. Yeah. I love it. Indeed, indeed. So I got a chance to read some of your book, the the sample that came out before it was actually published, and I'm eager to get into your story because it's very different from mine and and many people we've talked to on the show, but. But then you notice all these very clear similarities that a lot of bi people go through. So before we get into it, uh, why don't we just start by telling me how you identify and how you came to that identity? That may be a long question to how you came to it, but start with how you identify and why, I guess. I identify as a bisexual cis woman, and it was a long journey getting to that term and to that specific label because I didn't know it existed for a very, very long time. But I ended up sticking with it and really, really loving it, actually, because bisexuality has a really bad rap. I think just a PR marketing department is gone and nobody's doing the work. And Mm -hmm. I really wanted to actually stick with it. And then when I realized that the definition is a lot more expensive than what I thought was initially... I'm like, yeah, of course I'm sticking with that. That sounds perfect. And I'm going to change and shape it and adjust it to what I believe bisexuality is. And that's why I continue encouraging people to ask that question. So how do you identify and what it means to you? Every single time you meet a person who identifies as bi plus. It's, it, that's so interesting already because like people make so many assumptions about what bisexuality is and what it means. And non-bi people, like I just hear that over and over what those assumptions are. And I think to a certain extent, I had been mm-hmm. making those assumptions before I came to it. So so I guess the logical next question is, like we interviewed Robin Oaks last season. I tend to gravitate towards her lovely definition. But what does bisexuality mean to you these days? 
Yes, our live Robin Oaks definition as well. It is very close to my heart as well. Absolutely. I think it is actually one of the first definitions that made me feel a lot more accepted and included into the community itself. I did not feel connection to the community for a while. It took me some time and it took me some time of trying on, like literally trying on and see how it feels, those different definitions. And Robin Oaks was the first time when I felt, oh my God, that lending really well. I really love it. So I definitely include and always love to include all gender expressions and all sexes into the definition of bisexuality, but also asexuality and and also aromantic people. And because I feel that bisexuality has so much um, conversation around sex and sexual act and proving it and explaining that Mm -hmm. and not so much about platonic and not so much about friendships and not so much about other emotions maybe we don't have enough words to to label yet Mm -hmm. and i want to include that as well and then in conversations with people i started to change even that more because somebody would say well i don't identify as bisexual i say bi and there's a difference for me and as i'm learning those nuances I'm including a lot more into it because it resonates with how I feel. Mm-hmm. Every time I have a new experience, I'm like, oh, I have to add this in. Mm-hmm. So I think I wanted to add romantic and platonic emotions and connections into bisexuality and different levels of it mm-hmm. uh, because there may be sexual attraction to one sex or one gender expression specifically, but less to another, or it may completely change next day. And I wanted to include that fluidity. And fluid is probably actually one of my favorite labels, but that requires always a lot more conversation. And I want to start with bisexuality because it's a little bit known than I think yeah. fluid and yet also has such a bad rap. So I have an opportunity to talk about it every time when people are like a bit, I can see on their face, they're a bit unsure. And I'm like, ooh, there's an opportunity. Let's talk. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you name the Instagram page and the book Buy and Prejudice. So like, I think it hints to a lot of the prejudice or assumptions people yeah. make about this. Like, so when, when you do try to explain this to non-bisexual people, like what, what kind of assumptions do you hear most often or yeah. do you have to, and how do you counteract those? Yes. Uh, one of the first and main things that I hear is uh, I actually heard a friend uh, telling me how she was having conversation with her relative about me. Um, and uh, she she said to, to her relative, oh, Anne is bisexual. Um, and their, the question was, what, by what? What are you talking about? And uh, they are from Eastern Europe as well. And I think like in Russia, there's just a bit of a lack of understanding of that and a, a big lack of understanding of that, actually. Um, and my friend said, well, you know, when she likes men and women. I thought, huh. Okay, well, there's one definition. And I let it be there and I didn't even touch it at the time. And I thought, huh, is that what people are thinking every time when I have a conversation with them? Um, and that was one that actually hurt me probably the least because before that, when I mentioned having attraction to different gender expressions, I didn't even say bisexual at the time. I didn't use the word. Somebody asked me if I'd be interested to share all the crazy sex things that I do. And I was so confronted in that moment. Like, is that, are those two related? Am I meant to? Oh my God, I don't have anything to say. Do I have anything to say? So I thought of all those ways that probably I now instantly need to fit in, but none of those were my definitions. And it was just all about hearing all the weird things I do, which apparently identify with having an attraction to other people. Oh, sorry, people of different genders and sexes. That was mm-hmm. actually one of the first things that I heard. Um, and another one, which was very interesting and was very recent, is uh, somebody telling me that if you are attracted to multiple genders, then uh, your life is a lot easier because you can get over people really quickly. You have more options. Super easy. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, well, pe- people are still t- challenging, though. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. what a quick fix for relationships. Just be bisexual. You're just open to then more conflicts with people and more potential good and bad. But every person is a person just like, yeah. Yes. So it does not shortcut into good relationships at all. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's interesting that it 
it was about me having more opportunities because I could date different genders. And and the personality and the people's experiences and traumas and other things just don't come in at all. That is not the conversation. Right. I mean, I guess if you live in a small town where there's only a handful of people single people your age maybe that then you have more options if maybe you don't have any disqualifiers but like most places there's more people than we're gonna have time to develop relationships with so uh, it's always a weird line yes. of argument i also am curious about what you were talking about with like friendships and the asexual spectrum and like how do you think your bisexuality affects your non-romantic or non-sexual mm. relationships but like other types of relationships yes i personally i feel like i have a open space i feel like i have a lot of acceptance and i notice a lot and i i love to blame bisexuality for it it's possible that it's part of my personality and I um, I remember my uh, former business coach and my therapist, they both were always telling me that my gift is curiosity. I just want to know. I want to ask questions. And even when I encounter those odd opinions people have of bisexuality, I'm often feeling hurt and curious. I'm, I'm often going back and like, what? Why do you think so? And with other relationships, I'm just curious to see whether there is more other styles and forms of relationships and to me it feels like connection to the world and connection to different people entirely regardless of their sex or their expression because other things matter and affect my attraction more I think than sexuality and um, sometimes when I'm finding it difficult to distinguish whether that's friendship or romantic how am I feeling in this particular moment now and it kind of blurs for me a lot. And there are other things that contribute towards that. It is not because I've got one particular sexual orientation, but I have past experiences, I have traumas, I have so many other things that shape and form this, that just having it, just putting it down to sexuality is so limiting and inaccurate. And I believe that also different levels of friendships or platonic connections could be part of that sexual orientation as well. And maybe that's why sexual orientation is not such a good phrase because it has sex in it, but I want to add relationships into it. Like my friend often says, I'm super straight, but I just think that women are so beautiful and she finds same-sex relationships are beautiful and like she's so queer inside. It feels so queer to me. And she says, but I'm super Mm -hmm. straight. I'm just not interested in the sex part. And I thought, yeah. oh, that's right. But you you don't really have to. Even though I'm never going to, of course, identify her as bisexual, I will always let that person tell me who they are instead. But to me, it feels like, yay, welcome to club. That's just part of, mm-hmm. part of the human condition and all our experiences we have. And to me, it's very bisexual. Uh, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. I, like, I have friends like that, too, who since I've come out, I've they have not, they're straight, but I feel the relationship has shifted or queered in some way and allowed us to connect on a deeper level. It's not sexual or romantic, but my bisexuality did kind of open up space to be more emotionally connected Mm. within a friendship or within a family relationship. Um, And I think people have listened to this podcast since season one will know that I'm, I resonate with a lot of what you were saying about the blurring of Mm. lines between those relationships and also about curiosity. I mean, I think that is a core part of my bisexuality is I was always curious about myself and about other people and what was going on in their head and what drove people and like, why is the world the the way it is? And why are we taught the things we're taught about gender and sex? And I kind of think my, my curiosity really led me down this road in my late twenties. And like, if I hadn't been curious about the thoughts in the back of my head, mm. they would have stayed back there and I never would have come out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's very intertwined for me too. Yes. It's interesting. You mentioned at the beginning how your straight fr- friends didn't come out. Why don't they? <laughs> 
<laughs> straight people never come out because I think once they're born, everyone assumes that everyone is straight. And then we have to wait to actually come out almost like every day. Every time I get coffee from a new coffee shop, I'm coming out again. <laughs> yes. The straight the straight people don't have to come out and and don't realize what what that's like, I think. It's it's yes. hard for people to understand the ways you'll get biphobia or like yeah. in other people's cases, transphobia when, yeah. you know, you either have to come out every time or face that. Yeah, yeah. it's difficult. Let's go back a few steps. We've covered a lot already, uh, but I want to hear about like how you, how you did come to the identity and especially because you grew up in Russia and you wrote in the book about growing up in a pretty conservative family. Maybe there's a lot more conservatism there and, and kind of being exposed to certain things without even noticing it for a while, like racism and homophobia and pro authoritarian views and stuff like that. Mm So talk about that, what that was like and how you eventually started to notice those things. Mm, Yes. Growing up in Russia was very, it's like living in the box almost literally because you've got walls walls closing in around you and there's one opinion almost and there's one view and it's very difficult to look outside of it i i for a while i I believed that dictatorship is actually the way to go because the only way you can make things work or get things done is to herd all the cats and lock them in the gate somewhere in the room done so just dictatorship or and that's how i saw monarchy even and i thought we just need a tsar and we've always had a Tsar. <laughs> and I believe that. And I think the racism that I was observing, I found my peers and my community or the place where I was growing up very racist and quite openly racist. And a lot of the times very proud of being racist because there is a very strong distinction between us and us and them. And they are they're loving it. Everyone around me were supportive of that view. And for that reason, queer community, I I couldn't even see it. It didn't exist. And I I didn't even feel the need to qualify myself or, or give myself a label of any sort because all of my experiences felt like that's what straight women do because I think there was a lot... A lot of hatred, hatred toward homosexuality specifically, and there was really nothing said about lesbians. But I was still very scared to be mistaken for a lesbian, and I didn't have any other definitions or any other labels. There were only two. There was a gay man or a lesbian, and people were mostly making fun of lesbians because what can go wrong with a cuddle? That's really how it was seen. And um, homosexual men, that was, of course, scary. It's perverted. It's wrong. And we had this story of um, hosting two friends of my mom's best friend, friends. It was a gay couple. And the two men who stayed with us, it was just a massive secret. And I wasn't to tell anyone. And I actually haven't till till I wrote the book. That's the sort of first time I was actually talking about out loud. So I was a bit terrified. But nobody was to know. I don't even remember what the men looked like because I was so scared. Not to sit too close to them, not to tell anyone. And everyone was whispering about them just so that neighbors couldn't see. Don't tell your friends. Stay home. Don't go anywhere. It's a big event happening. So all I remember this nervousness around just meeting two people. It felt so crazy. But it was also all I knew. So it was sort of normal, even though it felt odd this is so confusing to be in a space like that when you know that this is just a human being and yet you're meant to be terrified of them and and fear them and stay away from them so i didn't even notice and didn't even know where queer community was till i moved to australia and after a decade of here of living here i met people who told me that they used to go to russia back even in the 90s and would go to gay underground clubs and how welcoming and amazing people were and I felt like, what happened? I missed all this. I've never heard of this. This is the first time I hear it. I need to go back and find it. And I haven't yet. But I, when I did go back after living for about 10 years in Australia, when I did go back, I just looked at the people and I could almost tell. People felt queer. People looked queer. And I could tell how nobody else could see them. 
It is such an mm. invisible place. You can hide there so well. Even if people were covered in tattoos or they had green hair, which is just not something Russians would do. But if they had all of this, they could have even had a little rainbow pin. It would not be noticed. I think Russians would just look through and not even notice it because we have this belief that queer just doesn't exist. We don't have it in Russia. I think there was actually an interview with Putin, uh, one of the American documentaries, where he was saying, this is just something we don't know, we don't like, we don't want. So we don't have it in Russia. And this is almost a political stand of a country. So no wonder I didn't have any labels for myself at all. And all my experiences that I had over my life, I would just put them down to when you're growing up, you try things that don't mean anything. Maybe that's what women do. It's just part of being me. Maybe I'm a little bit like a crazy wild person and it's it's appropriate for women to do. Men desire that, so I'll just do it. I think it's fine. And all those thoughts. And I just stayed mm-hmm. with that. And it took me it took me leaving Russia and living for almost 10 years in Australia before I actually could claim bisexuality to myself very cautiously and carefully and still unsure. But I heard about it probably my second or third year into living in Australia. I finally heard the word, so it would be my mid-20s. And I thought, wow, I need to research that. What is that? And, of course, the first opinions I heard were around mixing bisexuality with uh, being a cheater and being unreliable. Those were the first things that came to my mind. Yeah. And I thought, I don't want that. No, thank you. I was terrified to be called lesbian. Now I'm going to be called a cheater all the time, just by default. No, thank you. So I'm going to stay with straight. And so I did for a number of years. I just decided to be straight, but I would occasionally make out with women and men love it. So it's approved. It's accepted. Um, I'm just going to do that. It's very safe. And I just Mm -hmm. stayed there for years and years and years. Yeah. Again, I'm I'm identifying with much of your story because it sounds like it's even more pronounced in Russia, but like even here, there's these things we're taught and things we internalize about the way the world is that is not necessarily true. And and for us, I think growing up in a very binary way and like today we see queerness all over and it's acknowledged and accepted in many places, not everywhere. But growing up, it wasn't like that. I didn't see much. Like I didn't know that many mm-hmm. gay people. I knew zero bi people until like my 20s. I didn't know that that was a thing that could exist. And like, yeah, even if you had, like even my parents who were pretty progressive, like had views and didn't know gay people. And so didn't have exposure. And I, and I internalized a lot of that stuff looking back. Um, Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think that invisibility is very confusing because you do have so many experiences and you see nothing. And of course you just think that's my fault. Something's wrong with me. Right. You take the world as it is, you know, what you're told is what it is. And then you look at like, oh, so then why am I having these thoughts or why am I not fitting into this? And the reality is that (laughs) what we're taught is wrong. Yeah. Support for Two Bye Guys is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Last season on Two Bye Guys, I reviewed their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawn Mower 4.0. They were kind enough to send me one, and... You know, I had never actually shaved down there before, and I liked it. It's kind of nice, and it feels nice and smooth, and it's easy to use. I recommend the Lawnmower 4.0, but also this season they sent me something new. It's the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. That's what it's called, and it's been great. They sent me one. It's awesome. It trims your nose and ears hair. Pretty self-explanatory. I don't know how much detail I can go into it, except it's super easy. It looks nice, and it trims your nose hair. And uh, that's an important thing to do frequently as you get older because it grows faster and faster, I have noticed. So try out the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer or try out the Lawnmower 4.0. Maybe you heard us last season talk about shaving your balls and you didn't pull the trigger. Well, now's the time. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 
20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 2 guys at manscaped.com. That's 20% off the lawnmower or the ear and nose hair weed whacker and free worldwide shipping with the code 2 guys all one word, at manscaped.com. Your balls and your nose will thank you. There was an interesting anecdote in your book about taking your parents out for a Mardi Gras celebration in, in Australia, I believe, and kind of exposing them to queerness for the first time all and seeing how they reacted, although you were not out then, I believe. Can you tell us about that story? Because I, I found it really interesting with the whole parent yeah. coming out to parents thing. Yes, it was very nice, actually. They came, I think, in 2016, and they happened to be coming in March. And I, was, I thought, oh, that, that's an opportunity. So I booked VIP tickets so we could sit at the stand right in front of the parade. And I told my parents that they're going. They were very excited because my parents love um, they love carnivals and they love dress-ups. My parents dress up. They chorus dress just for fun at parties. And their friends do that. It's just as long as you don't say anything queer or don't identify as queer, it's fine. So they do do that. And I thought they could have loved it because all we need to do is dress up, which they do, uh, watch people dress up and dance and uh, get drunk together. And, of course, that's what we did because my mom even smuggled some alcohol in because nobody checked her bags. It was adorable. And we sat next to the bar anyway, and we got drinks as well. And they loved it. And we had conversations kind of throughout before and after, and I kept explaining to them that what are you looking at is expression of people's creativity and how they feel and that they are not – choosing how their attraction but this is a show so they are experiencing expressing their experiences but they and my parents would be like look it's interesting it looks amazing but it's just I, we don't want to be a part of the perverted lifestyles I'm like no you need to understand it's not a lifestyle and we had this conversation back and forth and they wouldn't push back too much by saying no that's what we believe in they would actually say hmm this is interesting maybe you're right Look, it's just unusual for us. And so I felt like they had this glimpse of understanding, but they're just in the wrong country and in the wrong narrative, and they're soaking in it. But at the end of the night, of course, the gates uh, and everything was moved, and Mardi Gras finishes, and everyone spills out on the streets. Of course, it was raining. And, of course, my parents were throwing their clothes in the air and hugging people, and we all tipsy and... We're just walking back to the train station and my dad is hugging all those topless men and they're singing together and they're chanting. It's adorable. It was so fantastic to watch. They loved it so much. It was an amazing experience. And then, of course, we had to have another conversation about the birds and the bees again or lifestyle versus human humanity and, and human existence. And they were just so, I think they had a glimpse of not being punished for being surrounded by queer. And I think if they were here, it maybe would have even changed for them. But of course, I wasn't celebrating it as a queer person myself, maybe just like quietly to myself. I, I didn't know, I didn't know the label yet very well at the time. I wasn't identifying, I wasn't wasn't even planning to come out. I was just so excited that my parents, who are so conservative, mostly out of fear, conservative, that they could enjoy it and they could see that people are safe because they were worried about gay men being unsafe. And there my dad is is like taking his uh, shirt off and hugging other guys. I'm like, yay, you see, nothing happens. You didn't die. They're amazing people and you had a good dance. It's like, yes, we enjoyed it so much. <laughs> it's beautiful to have those opportunities for them. And I'm, I'm glad that they just took it and went with it. Hasn't changed their opinions yet. I still have to have the bee and the birds conversation with them. But... Uh, they had an exposure without being punished for it, which is what would have happened in Russia. And I think that's that's what we need. That's so interesting. So so by you still have to have the conversation means you haven't come out to them as bi yet? No, no, I haven't. And they haven't even seen the book. So I'm thinking it will I've either mm. come to them by accident or we'll just have a conversation eventually. But we haven't, no, we haven't had this conversation yet. And I felt one of the challenges of discussing bisexuality with my family is the prerequisite knowledge that I would need to expose them to 
because bisexuality doesn't exist entirely. And it would be an interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. You'll have to come back on after you've had that conversation someday to tell us, tell us about it. Cause it's, it's a very interesting experience of like you almost testing the waters with them before actually coming out. And I wonder, do you think there's some level that they wondered why you wanted to bring them there or, Mm. or got something about that, that you're connected to this on some level, maybe even if you didn't realize it at the time, I don't Mm. know. Good question though. I think it's a lot sneakier than that. I think because my parents love parades and carnivals and dress-ups themselves, we always Mm -hmm. went to Thailand, them living in Russia and me being in Australia, we would catch up in Thailand or India. And we would go to Thailand and we would go to a lot of shows over there. And they loved it so much. So that just fit into, I think, their love of performance, really. And and another thing that I think assisted me is that in Russia, we love men dressing up as women. And and we just don't call it drag at all. And Uh and we don't even know their sexuality. And and they're always married men, married to women, men. We don't know. We just don't talk about it. And we have even our own guy who looks like Elton John. But nobody would even say that until John is gay. So it's all kind of very under wraps, but sort of semi-understood. And we love people cross-dressing for some reason. It's been always a huge part of modern Russian culture. And I think that yeah. kind of helped me to hide behind that. And I thought if I give it some time with parents to be able to give them more information, so more of the opportunities like that, maybe bisexuality would come a little bit easier. But I do remember that when mm-hmm. we had... Uh, a gay marriage plebiscite when Australia had to vote whether we wanted gay marriage to be or not, which is a rather embarrassing experience in Australia. But when we had that and we finally legalized gay marriage and I got um, sent a message to my mother being very excited about it and I told her that that happened, she got very nervous and she was very concerned and she said, why do you care? And I thought, oh, so she is, she is worried about it. And and we had a different conversation with her eventually. So I think it's just that I have a I have a sneaky situation with the culture accepting a lot of that, but without actually claiming and empowering queer, unfortunately. That would be the next step. Yeah. It's interesting what you're talking about, like this idea of people it's okay to behave in queer ways or do queer things as long as we don't label it queer and as long as like you don't talk about having actual sex with someone sex. of the same sex. Yeah. And it's like, you maybe not in the same ways as in Russia, but you see that here so much too. And we also had Jane Ward on season one talking about all this homoerotic behavior among mm. young men that is totally accepted in this country as not gay behavior, like quote, not gay. And, you know, no homo, like mm-hmm. all of those things are, normal male bonding as long as we establish that there's no sex or like but you know as you've talked about like we're we're blurring the lines and like the society is very rigid about what it, thing yes. is okay and what's not and bisexuality is all about blurring those lines and asking like well why I love it. Yes, it is about blurring the lines, I think. And you see, this is why there are so many different other layers of this big onion, such as our relationship with sex or the lack of and other ideas that we have, bad ideas around sex being wrong or sex being owned by specific sex or specific gender or it should look a certain mm-hmm. way and it should be in a certain number at a certain age with certain people. And all of that gets intertwined with sexuality. And I feel like we need to definitely blur all the lines and also unravel and unpack each of them and see where the problem is. That reminds me of what you wrote about in the book about being the like good girl. Can you mm. talk like, does how did that sort of influence your, your feelings toward your sexuality and then morph yeah. when you came out? Yeah, it is still very difficult label that my family gave me I was always a good girl I have like a broken brother in a way a brother that was just difficult so it was a difficult big brother and a perfect little girl and it's something that I think I was given before I was born 
because I was meant to be born a good girl. And I'm still unraveling it and still shredding it and shedding it off me. It's very difficult. And it still comes back as a habit and something that I embodied so, so strongly and so deeply. And it definitely makes it a lot harder to come out to self or accept self, not only for sexuality, it's not achieving something in some weird timeframes. And then I'm like, oh, I'm not a good girl. I failed it. Not finding the right partner that my family wants me to have. Oh, I'm a bad girl. I should be a good girl. So many other things. Um, lately getting a first tattoo, for example. And as I was getting it, I was like, oh, I am such a bad girl. Yes. <laughs> and now embodying and trying to be excited about being bad rather than trying to be a good girl. And I'm hoping that that's just a step to eventually being kind to self sitting down with bad and good and figuring out what that means to me and instead settling with Anna without good or bad. But of course, that that definitely made me feel unsure and uncomfortable, so much trepidation with same-sex relationships. Every time I was on a date, even with a girl, I would feel, oh, I'm doing something wrong again. This is, this is not what I meant to. I'm not being a good girl. Uh, leaving my partner was absolutely terrifying because of that as well, because I'm meant to stay with my partner. It doesn't matter what kind of relationship we have. All of those things, instead of following your true self and instead of listening to your body, we have all those ideas from someone else that we believe in, so strongly believe in. And I think this is one of the reasons why we even have to come out because somebody put us in and then we have to come out of it and this is why leaving yeah. abusive relationships is so difficult this is why actually feeling what we need and want is so difficult am i hungry what kind of career want i have do i want to live in the city and those things already colored by our society and our family who are telling us what we need to do again based on the ideas of sex and gender expression so that whole idea of being a good girl still haunting me it's very interesting to to watch my relationship with the words good and bad and what it means and it's still there it's still all over my over my head sort of like a bird fascinating yeah there's nothing bad about being bad so you moved to australia in 20 when did you move to australia 2008 Oh, okay. So you've been there quite a while, mm -hmm. but only come out in the last couple of years. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like I, it's not even, I, I feel like I came out to myself, but I feel like every time I meet someone, I'm doing it again and then again and then again and then again. <laughs> right. It's this constant coming out that is, is particular, you know, kind of unique <laughs> to bi people. I mean, others experience it too, but especially as bi, like, it's yes. quite invisible on its face sometimes. So you have to come out to let people know. Yes, but I think you're right. I still uh, accept it, I think, or took that label as my own probably, oh my God, two, three years ago. Cool. The wave is coming. Yes. So have you found a bi community in Sydney? What's the bi scene like there? Yes, we do have a community here and we have a couple of, uh, a few actually really good organizations. And I really hope to see even more, more niched, interesting spaces. But originally I was confronting self very intensely during the 2020 pandemic, the beginning of pandemic. And I couldn't find anything because it was, we were getting into lockdown. And this is why I decided to create Bind Prejudice because I was hoping to have a place where people would come. And instead of me trying to go and find them, I was hoping that they would come to me and we will be able to exchange those experiences. And I'm like, yes, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. There's people out there. This is fine. <laughs> and that mm -hmm. was my urge to, to do that. But that actually helped me not only connect with people all over the world, but also find the leaders of other groups and find the, the leadership in the space and connect with big organizations as well who are doing some work. It was terrific in that way to realize that we have a whole specific group for, say, nightlife, specifically for BiPlus people, which was amazing because they organized parties in Sydney. And, you know, you walk into a nightclub and you just know that everyone is multisexually attracted. Like everyone is just a human. And there was enough and nobody was thinking who I was. 
it was so welcoming also of non-binary and trans community that it was it just felt so diverse and and so welcoming and i felt like home and of course we have a whole bunch of other smaller communities that are only social or other ones that do a lot of advocacy and then groups that do those two together and then we are working together on smaller projects especially on social media and now getting together as well and also led me to meeting leaders from all over the country so state by state and they're running their own groups as well and we could join it together and i was invited to participate in the stand by us conference which is an annual conference for bi plus people and it's huge in australia and it was such an honor to to meet all other people, all the leaders and the participants. And it was huge. I really didn't expect that. So starting with almost feeling like I'm just the only one like this <laughs> to meeting to thousands mm-hmm. of people. Yeah, I would I love the idea of a nightclub filled with mm. bi fluid M spec people. That sounds amazing. And yeah. we were we were kind of going there in New York with the group that I help run by request. But but we the pandemic kind of put a damper on a lot of those plans. But I, we have to get back to that because that sounds great. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I do love it. And it's coming up soon. So we are dancing very soon with them. And they're called Biconic and they are so much fun. Cool. I'll I'll fly to Australia. <laughs> if we do have some do we it. do have some listeners in Australia. So so go check it out and let us know how it is. I'm curious, maybe, maybe not, but have you been dating since coming out officially like has that changed the dating scene for you or reactions from people you Mm. might date Mm, i've been lucky to meet i want to say nicer people than i met before (laughs) because i was in a very long-term relationship with a very conservative man who was very similar Mm. to my family so i guess it really made sense that we got together and we're still Mm. close and he is a very kind and gentle person but with a whole bunch of prejudices which are very difficult to live with in the end and so i left and after that i met it was interesting because when i left i wanted to take a lot of time to understand myself and instead of meeting people as to with the idea of dating them or going into relationships, I decided to go to a whole bunch of play parties and meet a whole bunch of people in a sexual environment instead of uh-huh. having a date or a coffee conversation. Those I do quite easily anyway. And I thought what it would be like if I enter a whole room of people with an intention of having sex and see just how I feel about it. And what, all the things that we're always a bit not allowed or odd or different because of the community I was within, I was suddenly on the opposite of it. And I just thought, I'm going to do it all. And I'm just going to try it all. I'm going to see what it all feels. And and I had a chance of doing or attending a few of those events before the second lockdown in Australia, before pandemic, all came back again. And it was really interesting. And I realized that I didn't actually want to have a relationship straight away. I wanted to see... what is my relationship with this good and bad situation? And see if I am with someone, if I'm with a woman on the street holding a hand, how much am I going to, to freak out? And I wanted to see what my feelings are and how deep this indoctrination goes and let myself feel all this stuff. And I ended up meeting um, a few very lovely women and I was so happy <laughs> that a lot of those lesbian women were very nice and they didn't didn't care about bisexuality in a way that actually I remember one of them telling me I'm so pissed off with my community because they're making me look really shit and I have no prejudice of the same caliber that so many peers of hers had and she felt really we had a really good conversation about it and it was probably the first time I had this conversation with um with a gay woman so it was really really validating and safe to to feel Mm -hmm. and hear and thankfully, I still haven't been on a date when somebody found out my sexuality and said, okay, see you later. Instead, my situation is usually just very sexualized. Instead, it's like, whoa, yeah, tell me what you do. What, who do you sleep right. with? 
And I'm like, what, what about you tell me all of these things? Why, why suddenly this is on the right. spot in the spotlight? Yeah, so it's been right. really interesting. And also, I have been meeting mostly bisexual people, which makes it so much more safe and, and valid and open and easy. But also, I'm wondering yeah. how much of a bubble it's creating for me. But I really need it after all those years in a conservative space and within with conservative people, families and friends, everyone were very conservative in their views and attitudes. After that, I feel like I need a queer bubble. Just sit in it for a bit. Mm -hmm. It feels amazing. Yeah, that that's really nice. And I'm glad you brought up the going to the play parties because I'm not, I didn't get up to that in the book if it's in there. And I had the same impulse too, like a couple years into coming out, like of really wanting to see what those parties are like and see what it's like to go into a space where you know everybody is thinking about sex. And and actually, mm -hmm. it was kind of funny because I found similarly that I didn't always want to have sex at a party. Mm -hmm. And I us usually didn't, even sometimes if I wanted yes. to, because it's just not how it goes down. However, some of the parties that I didn't have sex with anyone were like the most fun I had yes. in a long time and the parties were so fun and the people were so nice and I really just connected with people in a different way even if we're just chatting yes I agree yes yeah, so I identify with that yes and I think it was also for me it was also definitely an opportunity to uh, understand my body as well and to understand what I wanted and not because in right. the past I would have sex in my life without wanting it mm. but this is what was expected of me and I actually went with it and finding myself in the situation where I was enjoying sex and only doing what I wanted I was mind blown and it was because how often people are worried about, am I good in sex? Do I have the right stuff for it? None of that matters at yeah. all. It's my own relationship with my own body that matters. That's it. Yeah. But it had to come to a play party to realize that. And then secondly is those connections. I agree with you. I had some of the best times and connections with just sitting around with people. But I think that exposure and maybe that intimate environment we take off all the masks. It felt right. so much more raw and so much more connected. And that's why I still absolutely love them. Exactly. I agree completely. It seems so simple, like do the things you want to do and don't do things you don't yeah. want to do. But it's actually a really hard thing to learn and to unlearn yes. and to be able to check in with yourself and your body. And I find yes. that queer spaces have helped me learn how to do that. Yes, yes. I'm very interested in your poetry. You you describe mm. yourself as a poet and your book begins with a long poem. And I'm just, you know, as a like we've interviewed a lot of writers, artists, so I'm always curious about the intersection like of your poetry and your bisexuality. Did did mm. one affect the other? Did both affect both? Like how does your mm. queerness influence your art and, and how might your art yeah. influence your queerness? Yes. For me, poetry has become, as I realized, has become a witness of myself. It is something you, you can whisper a secret to and it's sort of spoken. So it doesn't have so much power over you. And that was the space where I would talk to about queer things and queer feelings or just feelings really and poetry originally for me was the place to talk about mental health and that's where I started and I think it was a, a container and to be safe to talk about mental health especially very some of the heaviest things that I could finally experience because I could never say them out loud before but being queer was one of those things you could never say before so for that reason, poetry became the container for it as well. And I would, my poetry is quite raw, I feel. It's it ha, it's very direct. It has very specific things and almost like factual and a little bit cut through sometimes. So I could tell my pen and paper the experiences that I couldn't tell other people and look at them and understand what it meant to me. And also being able to say and feel safe being able to say I'm queer 
and not like being scared because you feel like you're going to get punished straight away because of the environment that I grew up in. You have to be a good girl. Obviously, you don't have to be queer. Please be white. And all those other things, married, kids, dogs, and all other interesting ideas that were in my community specifically. And then poetry was that space where I could actually say how I felt. And I started writing more of by poetry as I was writing my book because I wanted to highlight every chapter and, pro- and, and also have a bit of experiment with different form. My poetry is usually very long, and then suddenly I wanted to create something a bit shorter. And it was a highlight of how I felt. And because poetry is a witness, it felt like I was witnessing self and allowing others to have a peek and have a look at it. This is why I was so terrified when the book first came out, because this was very intimate conversation for me, mm-hmm. as it turns out an important one. But it was also a very scary thing to do. You you are really putting yourself out there with poetry. I mean, it's it's very mm-hmm. raw and and personal. And so I wonder if that almost helped prepare you to be the have the vulnerability you need to to come out as bi. I think so. Yes. Once you said it out loud, it's not holding you as much, I feel, but it needs to be said a few times. And then you watch how it received as well. And you say it again, and you say it again, and mm-hmm. you say it again. Yeah. 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 I love that. That's lovely. Feel free to say no. Do you want to take us out with reading some of your poetry? Is there anything you want to share? Uh, I wouldn't mind sharing one actually from that book. It's a bit of an interesting one because I feel like it's angry. Yay, angry bisexual. I love it. Yes. <laughs> I think anger is something that we are taught and asked to hide. Therefore, it gets stuck in our bodies and we get sick. I was just talking about that with my therapist. Good. Yes, we need that. We need to experience every emotion. So it's interesting yeah. how we got bad feelings and good feelings. Mm-hmm. But really, we have feelings. And they all require a container. So mm-hmm. if you're punching a peel or writing poetry, beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here is a bit of a here's a bit of an angry one from the safe skin chapter and it is sort of about personal change but i made it a little bit like into a monster because it feels like a monster that is angry but i just love the monster anger is wonderful <laughs> i feel afraid and small i guess you win today but i do the work that births my courage while you remain the same i feel the safe skin growing on my limbs while you're asleep, I'm sharpening my teeth. Mm, I love it. Thank you. That's great. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for being here on Two Bye Guys. We are definitely thinking along the same lines on many of these things. And though, you know, grew up in different places and had different experiences, mm. like have gone through many of the same things and, and come to many of the same conclusions. So it's very nice to meet you and connect. Thank you so much for having me. Such an honor. And I love that we have so many connections and so many realizations we do come to eventually. Mm-hmm. That is so lucky. I love that. Thank you so much for having me. Indeed. Thanks for being here. It was lovely to talk to you. And thank you all for listening to Two Bagas. Two Bagas is edited and produced by me, Rob Cohen, and it was created by me and Alex Boyd. Our music is by Ross Mincer, our logo art is by Caitlin Weinman, and we are supported by The Gotham, formerly IFP. Thanks for listening to Two Bye Guys. Bye.